I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome everyone to Rocket Nation Podcast. Uh, my name is Sam Snelling. We are here tonight to talk some Mizzou football and also a little bit of uh, Mizzou basketball. Uh, with me on the other line is uh, everybody's favorite football analyst at Rock'em Nation, right? Uh, Brandon Kiley and and my longtime friend, right? BK, that's what we're, we're friends, right? Please say I yes. would say that, that's, that <laughs> we qualify as being friends. I'd say that's fair. <laughs> Uh, appreciate that, man. Um, yeah, so you are on the podcast. I am on the podcast. People know you as a football guy, know me as a basketball guy. So we're going to kind of make this work, uh, mainly because I've been dipping my toes in the water of Mizzou football, and you've dipped your toes in the waters of Mizzou basketball enough. I feel like this is a pod we can talk about both. Uh, I want to start this out mainly because... Over the weekend, there was quite a bit of news. Uh, the traffic at Rock'em Nation was higher uh, for some reason than you might expect after a thorough beatdown of a uh, of Troy. Um, and the reason was is that uh, Kelly Bryant hurt his knee, uh, did not return for the second half. Uh, and kind of <clears throat> under the radar, Kale Garrett didn't play in the second half either, and nobody really like paid attention to that storyline until the next day. Um... But I want to start with the you know the situation with with Garrett since uh, since he's the one who is out for the season. Uh, unfortunately, the fifth down 
recorded their podcast uh, at like 10 o'clock in the morning and, and didn't know that Kale Garrett was basically lost for the season. But uh, but yeah, so Missouri is without its uh, pro- probably their, their best shot at maybe getting an All-American um, on this football team was with Kale Garrett, the way he had kind of started out the year. Uh, I think he was at, what, three interceptions, a couple return for touchdowns, uh, three touchdowns total. Um, he was just a menace defensively, all the field making tackles, uh, leader of the defense as far as kind of getting people into place and, and, and all of that. Uh, so losing him, Brandon, what do you think that's going to, what kind of impact do you think this is going to have just overall on the, uh, on the defensive side of the ball? It's so hard to know. I mean, it's, it's going to be significant. We know that because you don't lose a guy that, caliber of Kale Garrett and just move on as if he was still there. I, I've written about this a few times, Sam. Somebody mentioned to me that the comparison that they would make for Kale Garrett, I forgot who it was, but the comparison they made was watching Kentrell Brothers in 2015. And it's a great comparison in my opinion because Kale Garrett isn't like necessarily athletically the most gifted player in the world he's not the guy that you look at as he get off gets off the bus and you're like oh well that guy is one of the best players at the field that's not who he is but he is gifted in his own right and man it seems like sometimes this year he is making the play before there's a play to be made what i mean is it almost feels like he's filling the hole where the running back is going before the running back's even actually there. And there's times when he's filling the place, the void, where the quarterback is getting ready to throw, before the quarterback even knows that he's getting ready to throw into that particular void in the defense. It's It's been incredible to watch. He's probably, of all of the players on the team, the guy that I've enjoyed watching the most over the course of the first however many weeks. I mean, he's he's been spectacular. He's been legitimately one of the best players in the country over the first five games of the season for Mizzou. I'm I'm devastated to see him go down, and you ask specifically what the impact's going to be for this Mizzou football team. I wish I could give you a firm answer. It's just so hard to know. The only thing that we do know is they're losing an All-American type of player, and it's impossible to replace that. They always say next man up. There is no next man up. You can't get another All-American guy that's going to come up next. That It just doesn't exist. And I think the sort of comparison that Nate Edwards made um, in his sort of quick reaction to the, the news and sort of how it sort of flows out at that point was was to sort of compare him to Pig Brown of the 2007 defense. And certainly 2007 was a team that was a very, very special Missouri team. Uh, the defense was, was really good. Pig Brown was, um, was very much the leader of that defense, the vocal leader, the emotional leader. Uh, he was still able to kind of provide that on the sidelines, but his playmaking ability was 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 lost, uh, and the defense certainly took a hit. It was still good, but I think for me, like where what we're talking about is is you're talking about the level that Missouri's defense has been playing, and we'll sort of exclude game one because I mean I, I think realistically, if you take away what like the the three or uh, you know. Th- two big runs, three big runs, whatever it was that they had, uh, they still had a pretty good performance. But since that game, the defense has been playing at such a high level. So uh, I, 
where I think it's probably fair to say like top five or 10 defenses in the country. And I think S&P uh, plus or SP plus um, kind of bears that out. I think currently they're like seventh. So is it a situation where we're talking about going from like seventh to 25th or, or is it something where there's enough kind of guys uh, that are able to make plays uh, there's enough faith in Nick Bolton and what he can b- kind of bring to the table. There's enough uh, quality players on the interior of the defensive line uh, that can kind of help clean up some of those uh, tackles that maybe Garrett was was sort of filling in for. Uh, and, and maybe we see a drop to maybe like 10th or 13th uh, as opposed to like 25th or 30th. It's a great question. Um, I, I hope for the latter, um, that that's obviously the goal, and certainly based on what the coaching staff has done this year, you'd like to believe that that will be the case. It's just I, I don't want to undersell at the same time the type of player that they're losing. You know, like it, it, it's not like they're losing the seventh best guy on what is a stacked defense. No, they're losing the best guy. He he was their best defensive player, and there was no question about it. He was. I mean, he was the best player on the team so far this year. He has four tackles for loss, a sack, three interceptions, and three touchdowns defensively this year. Like, I I don't even know how to put into words how tremendous he's been through the first five games of the season, man. So I, as much as I want to believe that they're going to be able to just kind of move forward without him, I think it might be closer to the 25th best defense. But that being said, Sam, like that – that doesn't mean that they can't be great still as a team. You know, like the, if they still have a healthy Kelly Bryant, and I'm going to be really interested to see this weekend just how healthy he is, but from every account, it sounds like he's going to be okay. Ole Miss is not good. They should still win that game. Vandy, not good. Should still win that game. Same thing with Kentucky. The first place where I really think this could potentially come back to hurt them is against Georgia and Florida. Because Georgia's going to be able to run on this team now in a way that they wouldn't have been able to if Kale Garrett was in the lineup. Same thing for Florida. There's going to be opportunities for Florida that wouldn't have existed if Kale Garrett was on the field. And so if we're talking about the ceiling, the ceiling for this team probably changes a little bit without having Kale Garrett on the uh, on the field. But if you want to talk about in terms of like the fact that they can still go 10 and 2, that to me is still on the table for them. Yeah, and I think of like overall the defense to me has always kind of screamed like it's it's more about the sum of its parts than any kind of you know individual players. With in my opinion, maybe the exceptions being what Kale Garrett has been and what Jordan Elliott has been. I think Elliott is is right up there um, with Garrett as far as his impact on the defensive line. Uh, you know, Garrett at the second level, and and while the the secondary you know, has had some kind of miscues here and there, you know, some, some poor angles that they've taken and, uh, and, and kind of struggling in, in coverage here and there. For the most part, they've been solid. I don't know that you'd necessarily point anyone out as, as being like a standout. I mean, I, I know like, you know, Ronnell Perkins had, you know, a long, you know, touchdown return and things like that are very memorable. But overall, like the secondary has mostly been good. And I kind of feel like, when you when you remove a guy like Garrett is is what you do is is you're essentially saying okay now that this one piece is gone uh, that means that everyone else of you know the other ten guys are going to have to elevate their level of play and so the big question is is you know are they able to 
and and who's going to be the guy that's going to be a kind of step up and be that that big time playmaker uh, that we've seen from Elliott, we've seen at times from Bolton, um, but is there going to be somebody in the secondary that that is able to kind of step up and make the plays that uh, that that Garrett has made in coverage? So I I think the answer is probably no that they're not going to be able to do it to that extent. But I would also add that I think a guy like Joshua Bledsoe or Tyree Gillespie, both of those guys are capable of making plays, and we've seen them do it at times this year. I mean, since that first week of the season, I really think both of them have played really well. They've shown the playmaking ability that they've talked about, the Mizzou coaching staff has talked about since they stepped foot on campus. The first two years, it was more talk than it was production. This year, we've actually seen some of the production come through. I would also say that a guy like DeMarcus Acey, like he doesn't get targeted very often because he's a really good corner. But when he gets targeted now without a guy like Kale Garrett in the lineup, he needs to make t- take advantage of some of those opportunities. And then you mentioned him. I He's not in the secondary, but Nick Bolton's the guy that we've seen have the flash plays. And we were really excited about him after the first few weeks of the season. I remain excited about him today. He's got to take his game to another level. He's got to be the type of player that he was the first few weeks. We've got to see that on a week-in, week-out basis. And I know it's early. He's a sophomore. He, it, It's a lot to put on a guy. But this is big boy football, man. It's the SEC. Like, Mizzou has a chance to have a really special season, one of the 10 best seasons in the history of the program. And if we are able to see Nick Bolton take his game to the next level, that could be the difference maker. So before we move on, I just got a ESPN alert that uh, Ben Sam- Simmons uh, made a three-pointer in an NBA basketball game tonight. <laughs> I feel like we should break into what our conversation was. This is this is breaking news, everybody. Um, the the Ben Simmons. It's his first. One, yeah, right? this is his first career three-pointer. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's his first career attempt, uh, but I I I just I I think. We could say rest in peace, uh, you know, Ben Simmons three pointers meme. Uh, that was one of the great memes of, of the NBA uh, basketball season in the last couple of years. Um, but I do want to kind of move on uh, mainly to talk about Kelly Bryant and sort of his impact. Uh, I know that there was maybe a lot of nervous people watching, you know, Taylor Powell in the second half and watch the offense not really do a whole lot. They, they had a little bit of success moving the ball through the air. They kind of struggled to run the ball. Uh, they just weren't really doing a whole lot that second string offense, and um, and hey, it's it's not a Rock Nation podcast without a, uh, a a dog bark. So, but Kelly Bryant's impact. Um, do you think that the offense is going to be that much worse off if he's not maybe as mobile as he's been, uh, or or do you think that his arm and his passing ability has been because uh, I, I tend to think like he's been a much better passer than I expected. Uh, and so I'm kind of curious to see how Missouri is going to utilize him over the next few few weeks as they're gonna probably going to be trying to protect him a little bit with that with that knee. So I find it really interesting. Um, the fact that he was able to practice today and, and it appeared wasn't really all that limited. That's pretty significant, man. It's kind of crazy that that's the case already. It, it, it get Watching the way that it happened on Saturday and then seeing him be able to just come out and practice on Tuesday seems crazy to me. It seems impossible. That being said, this particular game against Ole Miss, their defense is not good against the pass. So he could stand in there as a pocket passer and probably shred them to pieces 
against Arkansas, 300 yards and a touchdown allowed. Uh, Southeast Louisiana, 309 yards and two touchdowns. Now they had three picks, but they had three or two touchdowns as well. 373 and four touchdowns against Cal, Alabama. Throw that one out. And then 200 yards last <laughs> week, last week through the air. Uh, what did Alabama have? Four eighteen and six touchdowns with an average of 11 yards per attempt. I mean, they are right now last in the SEC in terms of yards per game allowed through the year. Mizzou's passing offense should be really good this week, and that's whether they have the mobility or not from Kelly Bryant. It happened in terms of timing. It happened at a really good time because you're about to play an Ole Miss team that's just not very good defensively. Well, and there are uh, quite a few people kind of making the case and saying, well, you know, you really could maybe just sit Kelly and and protect him and let him heal up and, and go out and beat your opponents the next couple weeks just with the sound running game and, uh, you know, and the defense that the way that they've been performing, you're, you're probably very likely to win that game. It's going to be a lot closer uh, than it would be, you know, without Kelly. And I think that kind of you know brings me to my point is is what are we what are we trying to accomplish here? Are we are, are we simply going to be okay with them winning against Ole Miss, uh, winning against Vanderbilt, uh, or is it going to be something where you want to see the same level of play that we we've, we've now seen for like the last four weeks, where or last four weeks of games, I should say, where where they've really kind of been dominant on both sides of the ball and i i tend to think like if if kelly's able to go i'd rather see him out there and see the offense kind of trying to build on what they built uh you know than than trying to to play it safe and and stick with uh with taylor powell and just trying to get by yeah i mean i i think this is pretty simple actually um i think sometimes people make this stuff more complicated than it needs to be if kelly bryant's healthy he should play period like end of story it's it's really that simple like if he can go out there and he can be effective and he's not going to potentially injure himself, like if he can protect himself and he can play well, he should go out there and he should play against Ole Miss. I, 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 know, I understand the idea that some people are having that maybe you could sit him and get him healthy for this stretch run. Man, Kelly Bryant has probably eight games left in his collegiate career. Not probably. He has eight games left in his college football collegiate career. If he's healthy, he should play in this one. He should play against Ole Miss. He should play against Vandy. He should play against Kentucky. Like, this is just not all that hard to me. You go out there, you play him, you win the game against Ole Miss. Hopefully, he only has to play three quarters. You know, like, maybe that's the maybe that's the thing that we're looking for is hopefully they're up 34-10 to 10 at the end of the third quarter. They're able to sit him, and then you get a little extra rest going into Vandy. But I, I don't think there's any way whatsoever that they sit him if he has the opportunity and is able to play and protect himself against Ole Miss. And if you are having success running the ball, I mean, it is something where you could still have him out there with the threat of the pass um, because I do think that he's obviously going to be a much more of a dual threat. Uh, the defense is going to be a lot uh, less at ease if he's in the pocket versus Taylor Powell, who... I mean, you know, Powell looked pretty good throwing the ball around, but, I mean, he's not a big threat to run. Right, no, for sure. And let's be honest, man, for most of the season, I mean, Kelly Bryant wasn't a big threat to run either. <laughs> now, he knowing what his previous history was, I'm sure teams were still a little bit cognizant of the fact that he can run, but 
for most of the season, Kelly Bryant wasn't doing a whole lot of the running, and he was still hugely effective as just a pure pocket passer. So as much as we're talking about how the running could be an issue for him, it's more the mobility to me than the running. If he's not able to go out there and have eight designed runs against Ole Miss, that's perfectly fine. I got no issue with that. But up until South Carolina, he had like 25 yards rushing. And then last week, he had 20 yards rushing. So I I don't know that that's going to be a huge factor in this game. The only thing that could potentially limit him is the mobility factor where he's not able to scramble around. And he's been great at that so far this year. But even if he's not able to do that against this particular opponent, again, I go back to the fact that Ole Miss stinks against the pass. He should be still effective in that respect as well. I, I just, I, Sam, maybe this isn't coming through. I don't really respect Ole Miss as an opponent. Like, I just don't think they're particularly good this year. So from that respect, I, I just, I don't see this as being a huge issue for them this week. And I think there's probably a segment of the fan base uh, and, you know, maybe, maybe the media as well who aren't really quite bought into how good this Missouri team has been playing. Dude, this um, team's good. Like, I hope people realize this. Mizzou is a really good football team, and they threw us off the scent in week one with that loss against Wyoming, and a lot of fans moved off the team as a result, and I totally understand that. I get it. As a Mizzou fan, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop, and this particular season, it dropped in week one. So I totally get it. <laughs> if you were the fan that was like, you know what? I'm out. I'm done. I'm not doing it this year. I'm not allowing myself to go all in. I get that. But if you are that fan, I would highly recommend you come back because you could potentially miss out on one of the better seasons in Mizzou program history because you were throwing off the scent in week one. Mizzou's really good. Most Vegas rankings, the S&P Plus rankings, like, Anything that you look at that's going to have some sort of advanced metrics that are put into it, they have Mizzou as a top 15 to 20 team in the country right now. Some of them even closer to the top 10 than 20. This is a really good football team, and I I would highly recommend getting back on board if you aren't already. Yeah, I think uh, SP Plus had him at 10. Yeah. And um, I think I ribbed Bill a little bit for – adding his Mizzou bias into the uh, the algorithm this week. But uh, but no, I, I think that that is one of the things when you take into account how consistent you know the offense, maybe the offense isn't quite as explosive as it was under Drew Locke, but it has been more consistent. Uh, and then the, you take into account that the defense has made this leap. And, and hopefully, like without Garrett, they can kind of stay consistent. Um maybe not top 10 level, but if they could just sort of like we were saying before, if they could maybe be like 10 to 15. I still think what you're looking at is you're looking at a team that, that very well should be ranked in the top 15 at the end of the season uh, and probably at, at nine or 10 wins. And, um, and who knows, like if there's a break here or there, maybe they're able to excel uh, beyond that. Um, but for right now, I think they've got, an Ole Miss team that they should beat. They've got a Vanderbilt team they should beat. They should be able to go on the road and beat uh, Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky will put up a little bit more of a fight because of their uh, the way that they play defense. They've been pretty uh, good defensively, but their offense is not good. Um, and then Georgia's is just that's just an, another animal. But we'll we'll worry about that bridge when we get there. I don't know about um, Kentucky. You got any other points that you want to? You want to plug in on on this football stuff? Yeah, I, I don't know about Kentucky, man. I I hear you. Like in the past, they've been a really good defensive team. I just think that offense is so terrible that I don't know that they're going to be functional. I mean, they just lost twenty four to seven against South Carolina. 
I and we watched South Carolina. That team ain't great. They're, they're okay. That team ain't great. So I just I think Mizzou is the second best team. Two and a half. I, I think Mizzou. It's between Mizzou and Florida for the second best team in the SEC East. And I still don't know what to make of Florida. I watch them every week, and I'm just not impressed by the offense. I know they're winning these football games, and their impressive performance against Auburn is certainly something that needs to be noted. But I continue to not be impressed with what this Florida offense is. That's the game that I'm most interested in watching. I don't know how Mizzou beats Georgia. That team's just, it's a monster, man. Like, by the fourth quarter, they're just running all over teams because they are so much more talented than everybody they go up against. Florida is the game that I'm really, really interested in watching, especially because that one's at home. I think Mizzou is very clearly at least the third best team in the East, and then that Florida game is going to decide whether or not they're the second best team in the East. But yeah, I, it's it's a special team. It's a special season. It, it, it needed to be this because Barry Odom needed to have a year when he had the quarterback in place. The defense was his. He finally has the staff in place that he wants. He needed to be able to have that spike year of 9, 10, 11 wins. And it looks like he's going to be in place to do that. So uh, I think for Mizzou fans, this is the type of year they wanted and needed to see from Barry Odom. And for Barry Odom, man, this is the type of thing that you can sell to recruits. Like We, we talk about it all the time. What's the best way to get recruits? By winning. That It, it helps a lot. If you're good and teams are or, uh, recruits are seeing this, that's the best way to go out and sell your program to somebody else to say, hey, you see, you see that Tennessee team that offered you? We kicked their ass. You see that Arkansas team that offered you? We beat them on the road. Like th- Those are the things that really matter to recruits. So it's good for everybody. It's good all around. And I, I'm, just, I'm really excited to continue watching this team because they've been a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Like, I, I, I do feel like with the, the success that Missouri has had, I feel like the level of offers that they've been extending to, uh, you know, some of the guys is, you know, I sort of peep it on Twitter and you see like these offers and it's just like, oh, like I feel like the guys that they're offering are a little bit higher ranked than, you know, maybe they were a couple years ago and they're maybe starting to get a little more confident that they can get, kind of go in and, and, and land the kind of players that they think can maybe not get them to where they are now, but kind of take them to the next level and, and be able to compete with regularity on, uh, against a team like Georgia and, uh, and, and consistently beat Florida. Not that they haven't been consistently beating Florida, but I think with Dan Mullen at Florida, like they'll get that thing figured out and they will be a, a much more consistent team on a, on a more regular basis. Yeah. And I, I think that they've got the potential to do that. I'm just really happy that Odom's defense has come around. That's probably the thing that stood out to me most this year. I've written about it a lot on Rockin' Nation. Um, Odom got a lot of deserved uh, criticism over the first few years here at Mizzou that he came in as a defensive guy and was such a tremendous defensive coordinator, a tremendous defensive coach at every stop, every level, anywhere that he went. He was great. And then for whatever reason, and some of it's personnel, some of it's coaching decisions, some of it is probably just he needed to take a little bit of a step back from things. Like His defense just wasn't on the same level for a few years. And this year, what they've done over the last four weeks has been nothing short of remarkable. They destroyed West Virginia. They made SEMO look like the type of team that SEMO should look against a Mizzou squad. They made South Carolina look silly. And then this week, they did exactly what they needed to do against Troy. So the defense, to me, Sam, has been the most impressive and most important thing that we've seen so far this year. Because 
the offense is going to come and go. That's that's how it works. But with the defensive coach, you need to be able to hang your hat on that each and every year. And it looks like if they're able to keep this up, they should be able to do that. Yeah, and I find find it interesting. Like, uh, I think a lot of people are maybe even underrating the performance that the defense had against Troy and a, a Troy team that was inside the top, you know, like thirty or thirty five offenses in the country. Uh, you know, sort of regardless of conference and. Um, Missouri is is going to face a whole lot of teams with offenses that are far worse than Troy's. Oh yeah, and like for them to put the world of hurt they did uh, against that team was really really impressive. And and I also like how they responded after the the first drive, where um, you know like Troy kind of got to that first third down, they were able to convert, and then after that they sort of were able to move the ball pretty easily right down the field and score a touchdown and and then after that they got absolutely nothing and it was it was beautiful to see sam they're allowing 4.2 yards per play this season and that's taking out what they did against semo because that's only including fbs opponents 4.2 yards per play if you include what they did against semo they're down to 3.6 which is tied for with penn state for the second lowest in the country the second lowest in the country behind only Wisconsin. They're tied with Penn State. It It's remarkable. I mean, it, it really is. The defense has been exactly what you hoped it would be under Barry Odom. And again, we kind of go back to that Kale Garrett news, and that's why it's so disappointing is because they really were on pace to put together a special season. They could have been probably the second or third best defense in the SEC, and Given what this conference is known for, that's one hell of a feat, man. It's it's been it's been a lot of fun to watch, and it's been something that we needed to see this year because for the first few years, Odom just didn't have the defense rolling the way that it is right now. Yeah, it's kind of come a long way on the uh, you know how fe- people feel about Barry Odom, um, even as far as like week one. I, I feel like I've kind of consistently maybe since you know, that, that sort of second half recovery of the, the second season and into uh, into the third season, I feel like I've been kind of on board with Barry uh, and even been called like a, a homer or defender or whatever you want to say sure. about Barry Odom. Um, I just feel like once he got it figured out, like, I mean, there's a reason why he was rising up, you know, the coaching ranks and uh, and people had him pegged as a, as a really good candidate for a future head coaching spot. He took his lumps and he figured it out. And uh, I think right now Mizzou has a lot of momentum. Um, and I'm kind of interested to see where he can take this. I am too, man. And I, I I was not necessarily a Barry defender the first couple of years. I think when the, I'm trying to think it when exactly it clicked for me that this is the guy that's probably going to be the answer at Mizzou. I would say it was sometime last year. It might have even been the Purdue win. Like, it was an ugly win. It was certainly not the way that you wrote it up to be. But that was the game that the previous year they lost, and it felt like Purdue was going in the direction that Mizzou should be going in. And so for Mizzou to then kind of turn around and go to their place and be able to show no, Mizzou's actually in a better place than Purdue at this point and is on the better trajectory, that was probably the one that I felt best about, and that's when it probably turned for me the most. 
there were some times when it was trying, especially at South Carolina and then <laughs> later on in the season against Kentucky. There were some questionable decisions in that game to go along with questionable calls in the games. That certainly tried my patience with it. But last year was probably the year when I when I truly came on board with the Barry Odom experience and decided, no, this is this is probably the guy that's going to be the answer here at Mizzou. And listen, there's no better there's no better option than a guy who wants to be at Missouri being successful at Missouri. We saw it with Pinkle, and now it appears we could be seeing it with Odom. This is not necessarily the norm, Sam. Like, you could go to pick your random mid-level Power 5 program X. That guy gets an offer from Clemson or a power program, whoever it may be, Texas A&M, Florida State, Miami, whoever that program is that comes calling, and they bolt, and they use you as a springboard, and then they end up at that other program. That's not a reason not to hire a head coach, but if Barry Odom is good here, he's going to stay here, and there is a lot of value in that, again, if he's good, and I believe he's going to be. Yeah, I, I agree with that a lot, and one of the things that I always get a, a kick out of the people that complain about sort of the you know minutia of the small decisions that coaches make and i almost feel like there are so many people out there that that may maybe they only watch their one team and they don't watch all these other teams play because no matter who you watch play all the coaches everywhere make make these decisions and you're like why are you making this decision why are you burning a timeout right now why are you why are you doing these things? Uh, and I just think it's just the nature of coaching. Like sometimes guys make decisions that in hindsight are pretty dumb. <laughs> We're not okay. hiring rocket science, scientists here, BK. They're, they're, they're football coaches. Sure. And this is the case at every <laughs> level of every sport, right? Like in baseball, most people only watch their team because baseball is such a long season. And so you're watching 162 games of your team, let's say. And so the idea that you're also going to be watching all these other teams, it's just, it's a lofty expectation. And so you get honed in on your team and your manager makes these stupid decisions and you criticize the hell out of them and you should criticize them for it. But you also need to understand that there's a lot of other managers out there that are making those same decisions, whether they be correct or not. Same thing in the NFL. There's a lot of coaches that just make horrendous decisions when it comes to time management or challenges or whatever it may be just the way that your coach does. like, And that's the case. I'll bring it back to Barry Odom. I have my questions about Odom, had my questions about Odom, I should say, and might certainly still continue to have my critiques of Odom. But I haven't seen many of those arise to the same level this year. And some of that is just because they're not playing games that are close. And so the decisions <laughs> become a little bit easier to make. But yeah, exactly. I'm going to be really interested to see because the games are going to get closer here pretty soon. Let's say it's Kentucky or... Even if this Ole Miss game is closer than I'm making it out to be right now, I, I, I think he's grown a little bit. I we'll see how much, but I think he's grown a little bit as a coach, and he's certain certainly doing a better job in terms of the calling of the game as the head coach as well. So it's been fun to watch that. Yeah, I just uh, sort of harken back to some of the like criticisms of you know watching the end of like Georgia at big games, and uh, and I think. A lot, there's a lot of people right now who uh, would happily take uh, somebody with the level of Kirby Smart uh, at a program like Missouri, and and yet here here he is like 
big games and he's just sort of seems to clam up a little bit in, in some of those big moments and, and sort of makes some really uh, weird decisions. Um, you know, but like I said, that's the nature of coaching. Sometimes you're going to get a guy. And it's, it, I think as long as the trajectory of the, the program is like where you want it to be, you'll, you'll kind of live through um, maybe some, some decisions that you, you wouldn't necessarily like to make yourself. All, all that needs to uh, happen, Sam, is you need the, the good to outweigh the bad, right? Like it, you, you just – Andy Reid's one of the worst game managers in the NFL. He's also one of the best offensive innovators of the last 30 years in the NFL. And so, like, you live with some of the game management stuff because you also get the best offense in the league. Like, it, it outweighs any of those negatives. And that's all you need from Barry Odom. You don't need him to be the best defensive innovator of the of, of college football. But you need the, the positives to outweigh the negatives. And certainly this year, that has been the case for Odom. And I would say over the last two to three years, that's been the case for him. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So, Brandon, before we get out of here, uh, I, I feel like we, we need to talk a little bit about basketball. The uh, the preseason has started. Mizzou's uh, Mizzou's recruiting still, I guess technically. Um, are you aware that uh, one of the few remaining targets um, on the board is about to make his decision on Thursday? Oh yeah. What do, what do they, I need to know, Sam? You tell me. What do I need to know <laughs> about this decision? So Davion Bradford is a. Uh, a, a nice post prospect from uh, Melville High School here in St. Louis. Um, I think a lot of people are familiar with him at this point. He's a top 150, uh, just inside the top 150. Um, he's a project at, at, at center. He's a guy that's going to need some work. Um, but there's a lot to like. I mean, he's, he's big, he's strong. Um, you know, he's willing to play defense and willing to rebound. Um, and it certainly looks like he is not going to be a Missouri Tiger. So I think that's what everybody wants to know is what is uh, the ultimate decision going to be. Uh, everyone that we've sort of talked to uh, seems to indicate that it's going to be uh, most likely Kansas State. Uh, so why, Brandon, why, Mizzou fans want to know, why is a program like Kansas State able to take a prospect out of the hands of the powerful Conzo Martin and his uh, his recruiting machine in Columbia, Missouri. Yeah, I got that question. Uh, <laughs> uh, so basically, and this is the kind of the information that uh, that we have at this point uh, is I'm not entirely sure that Missouri continued to recruit Davion uh, after they got the commitment of Jordan Wilmore. And a lot of people might be surprised to hear that. Uh, but the one thing that we kind of know about Konza Martin is he wants guys that are really going to buy in. Um, it, it is his job to sort of sell that buy-in. Um, 
But realistically, Missouri only has one scholarship coming off the books next year. Uh, and they have a plethora of guys already uh, on the roster who they expect to come back next year, even if there's some question about maybe Axel Congo uh, getting a, another year of eligibility or Jeremiah Tillman maybe turning pro. Um, I've kind of been told that Missouri is is done for the 2020 cycle and, and until there's maybe some other roster movement, and then they'll kind of take a look at that in the spring. So I think what happened is uh, Davion was honestly, and I think probably still is a little bit torn about the decision and whether or not to go to Mizzou or to go to Kansas State. I think those two have been far and away the leaders. Kansas State's done a really good job recruiting him. Uh, it's a really good program in a really good place right now, and I think a lot of people might miss that because uh, you know it seemed like for five or six years Bruce Weber was on the hot seat. <laughs> um, but they're on solid ground right now, and, and Weber's a really good basketball coach. He's got Chris Lowry there, who's an excellent assistant coach, excellent recruiter. He's done a really good job in St. Louis. Uh, one of Davion's best friends, Luke Kasupke, as uh, a Chaminade kid, uh, already committed to Kansas State. And I think that uh, all of those things kind of wrapped into one uh, were kind of giving Kansas State the edge. Uh, but at the same time, like Bradford still wasn't quite ready to pull the trigger. And, uh, and I, now you can believe this or not, but I, I've been told that Missouri just sort of pulled up on his recruitment and said, we want this Wilmore kid. We've got him graded out similar. Uh, we want guys that have buy-in. And uh, I think there's uh, some reasonable people that can can question that decision. But uh, I certainly think that the developmental uh, period for both Bradford and Wilmore uh, are probably similar. Um, so there's going to be some, um, some minutes for them as freshmen. But for the most part, you're kind of hoping that those guys develop as sophomores and juniors. Um, and similar size i mean they're both seven foot seven foot two 250 260 pounds i mean they're they're both big guys so if you grade them out the same and uh you only get one take the guy who wants to be there so that's what i got um you got any thoughts on it so here's my question what's it mean for josh christopher is he coming well so josh <laughs> is not going to commit until the spring um I would put the odds at long of Missouri landing Christopher, but so there's always players who, who, uh, who you will make room for. Uh, Caleb Love is is that kind of player. Josh Christopher is that kind of player. Uh, and so when Josh Christopher is ready to commit, if he decides he wants to come to Missouri, they'll figure it out. They'll take him. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's going to commit until the spring. Um, Spoiler if I had alert: to guess, he ain't coming to Mizzou. It, well, yeah, if I had to guess, I'd say right now, I think UCLA is probably um, in the driver's position. I think they're in a really good spot because they've got two or three of his really good friends. Uh, they've got minutes, uh, you know, right away for him. Not that any, anywhere Josh Christopher went, he wouldn't be able to find minutes. Um, but uh, they've got an open spot right where he would fit in. Uh, and he can do it at a program that really needs uh, some... Uh, something to turn for them and I, I think he kind of likes that idea but we'll see we'll see um 
BK, I think you know me well enough to know that I am never 100% on anything when it comes to recruiting. I'm not going to shut the door on Josh Christopher. I would put probably put the odds at about 5 to 8% for Missouri to land him. I think it's way more likely that he stays out at either UCLA or Arizona State. That all makes sense. Um, I guess my only other question that I would have, Sam, is like, what? where does this leave their recruiting class? Because as of now, they've just got Jordan Wilmore for the 2020 class. Do you, I, I know you said they have like basically one scholarship truly available for them now. Do you anticipate that they are going to take more? Or do you think this is something that they leave it be and maybe see if there's anybody that reclassifies? Well, so my thought is, the the ideal situation for Consul Martin and his staff is that they get everybody back next year that they that still has eligibility. Um, mainly because I think they really like this roster and and I think Missouri has a chance to sort of be an NCAA tournament team this year uh, if they bring everybody back. Um, I think that they could take a step and kind of be like a. Um, Maybe not a protected seed in the NCAA tournament, which is you know be like a one through four seed, uh, but a team that could certainly you know challenge for maybe like the the top two or three spots um, in the SEC, and that would kind of put put them in that four, five, six range, um, you know, in SEC play. And so I think that's kind of the ideal situation is they would bring uh, all twelve guys back, uh, they would add you know Wilmore and, and sort of feed him you know, Nico's minutes, uh, and, and not have to, to worry about adding anybody else for, uh, for the 2020 class. Uh, I think we all kind of know that that's pretty unlikely to happen. Um, but, uh, I, I, I think when you get into a spring, you get into a situation where you're probably looking for transfers, uh, or guys who you have a previous relationship with who, um, have asked out of their letter of intent due to a coach being fired or, uh, or moving on to another job. Um, I think a situation like Kobe Brown, where Brown was uh, committed to A&M, signed to A&M, um, but Missouri was sort of in his top three schools when he did that, and, and then A&M fired Billy Kennedy, Mizzou got back in, and then at that point they're in the driver's seat. So um, I think there's a situation you could kind of see like that if, if a spot frees up in the spring. That makes sense. I, I trust in Conzo. So at this point, as long as... As long as he views it as the correct decision, I will be on board. I, I'm a little surprised that this is the way that the 2020 class is. I'm not surprised. That's not the correct uh, way to look at it. A little disappointed that this is the way that the 2020 class has gone. But at the same time, I mean, it does appear that he's making inroads in the right places with the right types of people. And if he continues doing that down the road, the hope would be for me and I'm sure for a lot of Mizzou fans those relationships start to pay off a little bit more and pay dividends in the route of not just being a top three player for some of these recruits, but then ended ending up ultimately actually signing a couple of them here and there. Yeah. And I think the, the most important thing uh, for them, you know, specifically this year is going to happen on the court. Uh, you know, a lot of people worry about recruiting. Um, they've got a talented roster right now. I mean, there there's, it's not full of, you know, five-star kids, but I mean, you've got what, like three, four, five guys that were inside the the top 100. Uh, and that's the makings of an NCAA tournament roster. And then you kind of add in a guy like Drew Smith, who is maybe unheralded, uh, you know, as a recruit, but a guy who certainly developed into a really good college basketball player. And 
if you're able to make the tournament this year, I think it sets them up for a really good 2021 class. Uh, and then you try to just sort of keep that momentum going. And, and at that point, you can sort of, you can really develop the relationships with guys like maybe like a Mark Mitchell out of Kansas City, um, you know, who's a 2022 kid, a five-star kid, a Terrace Reed, who's probably going to end up being a high four-star kid out of Chaminade uh in 2020 is he 22 or 23 i'm sorry he's 22 i think um so that 2021 class will probably be you're going to try to land probably several four stars and then i think 2022 is a, a class where you could maybe see some some big time difference makers kind of step in i love it i'm looking forward to it man i'm i'm, I'm excited for basketball season <laughs> it's it's basketball season is going to be a, a really interesting experience this year because it's one of those seasons where like I think for the majority of the fan base, the expectations are pretty low, but I actually think it's pretty easy for this team to exceed a lot of those expectations, given the talent that's on the roster. Well, and I do think that that the national media is overlooking Missouri um, in, in, <laughs> in large groups, I mean, like the predictions of 12th and, and, you know, like 13th and stuff like that. Like it's, it's going to keep the expectations elsewhere low. And I just, I, I think that's kind of missing out on, on how good this team can really be. And I don't necessarily think they're going to be like a, you know, challenge Kentucky or Florida for the top in the SEC. But, um, you know, I, I do think that this is a tournament team and if they miss the tournament, I'll be disappointed. But, uh, I, it's definitely, I think, a key year because Martin really needs to build on that, uh, you know, that solid foundation that he's got and actually start winning games. And if he does, then he can really kind of turn, kind of turn the corner like uh, like Barry Odom did, um, you know, maybe last year where you, you're sort of able to separate yourself a little bit from from the middle of the pack of the league. Yeah, I think that's the goal. It, it's interesting to me how how similar the paths have been for both of the coaches where it's like you get the high profile guy and for Barry Odom that was Kelly Bryant and for Conzo Martin it was the Porters and then now you've got to go capitalize on it now you've got to be able to go and show that this isn't just a one-year thing and this is what ultimately Barry Odom's gonna have to prove next year is can't just be a one-year one-year run you can't have a one-year spike and then it kind of go downhill from there You've got to be able to prove now the next thing for Odom that you can build a sustainable program, and I think he will be able to do that. And for Conzo Martin, I think it's the same thing. Now, let's see what the sustaining image is after what you were able to do with the Porters, getting that kind of early season flash, that that quick – it almost was a microwaved program early on with the Porters. Now let's see what it looks like whenever you have to prepare the full meal. Yeah. I agree with you. I think I think that's the the, the parallel, and I think the football team is a, a step ahead right now. Um, but you know, Barry Odom's been there a little bit longer, so um, we'll kind of see how it develops. But BK, I know that you're uh, you're a little under the weather, so we're gonna get out of here. Anything else you want to say before uh, before we we turn this off? I don't think so. I fully expect that Mizzou is going to play very well this weekend against Ole Miss. Um, in case that I don't speak to the listeners prior to the next game, I fully expect that Mizzou will win the next three games. So the next time that we are going to be really interested in this Missouri football team in terms of 
like what the actual outcome of the game is going to be. I think it's going to be that Georgia game. It's not a surprise to a lot of your listeners, I'm sure, but this is the toughest part for Mizzou fans. This is it right here. You're going through it right now. The toughest part is, okay, Mizzou has proven to all of us that they're pretty good. And the question is just how good are they? And now we're back to the Big 12 days where you're really not sure until you play one of two teams. Like in the Big 12, it was basically you're going to go test yourself against, let's say, Oklahoma and Nebraska in any given year. And those are going to be the games where you find out just how good you really are. You didn't really know against any of the other teams because the conference stunk a lot of the time. That's how the SEC East is this year. There's just not a whole lot of true tests in the division. So you're really not going to know like the ceiling of what this Mizzou team is capable of until they go up against Georgia and Florida. And now we've just got to get through the next three weeks and hopefully they don't have any sort of letdown over those three games. But if as long as they don't have a letdown game, they, they should be able to go 3-0 and and almost name their score against these three teams. <laughs> I, I like the sound of that. Uh, well, he is at BK Sports Talk on Twitter. You can follow him there if you are not already. Uh, I am Sam T. Snelling on the Twitter sphere. Uh, make sure you follow us, uh, tweet at us nice things, um, but also go to the Rock'em Nation podcast on your iTunes podcast feed and uh, Google Play Store if that's your, your jive. And then also, I think we're on Spotify now. We're all over the place, BK. Uh, but definitely subscribe to the podcast. Uh, give us good ratings because that's going to help other people find the podcast. Uh, and we are doing really good things on this Rockin' Nation podcast feed. Uh, up, I think, coming soon, tomorrow, uh, Nate will be back with an episode of uh, Before the Box Score. And we'll just kind of keep this thing rolling. I think uh, Matt and I will be back next week with Dive Cuts. We have CJ Moore joining the podcast. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, this is like a great, great podcast uh, feed that we have. Um, it's certainly except for above that. Those guys stink. <laughs> oh, Mitch, I hope you caught that. I'm kidding. Uh, we love everyone on the uh, the podcast feed, Rock Nation podcast. Subscribe, like, all that kind of stuff, and we'll be back uh, next week. I'll talk to you then. Thanks for tuning in.